cool. Take that off. All right. We know you have your Bibles because... Yeah, you're in church. So I, like, it's where we go, right? All right. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to close out chapter 20. As many of you know, um, we go verse by verse through a book that very rarely changes. Very rarely do we veer off of that and do something that might be considered topical on a day like this, a special day where we know that we are going to get to witness some, some baptisms. It may be one of those days where you do something a little more directed toward that. And it just so happened that God worked it out to where this text is going to make plenty of sense for what we're going to see afterwards. So we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep running on the rails that he's given us. Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to uh, take 29 uh, through 34. So we're going to close out the chapter, which says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, let our eyes be open. And Jesus pity, uh, in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is one of those stories, like a lot of the ones in Matthew, that are in all the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke. And synoptic is kind of like the way I like to think of it, is they're, they're kind of syncopated, and they're similar with some of the stories that they share. Um, this one's in all of them. We're not going to go there and read the other ones, but if you want to write it down and look at it later, Mark's is in chapter 10, starting in verse 46. Luke's is in chapter 18. The reason I'm telling you where those are at is because sometimes you come to a narrative in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, where there seems to be contradiction or discrepancy. And this is one of them. So we're going to go apologetics for a minute, okay, on this. Um, Matthew says there are two blind men. Luke, so, and by the way, do you guys know who the actual eyewitnesses were out of the four Gospels that we have? Matthew was actually an eyewitness. He was there with Jesus. John was actually there with Jesus. Mark is basically recording for us Peter's Gospel. So Mark went and interviewed Peter, because Peter was an eyewitness. And then Luke is a doctor, he's a nerd. And uh, so he just went out and collected all the information that he could, right? And then we have the Gospel of Luke, okay? None of them are far removed. All of them are, are, are near, uh, uh, are close to the original, both time of the things happening as well as the, the, the people that were actually there. So, But um, Matthew says here there were two blind men. Mark says there was uh, one guy, and his name was Bartimaeus, which probably means that Peter actually personally knew that blind guy. But he just focuses on the one, Bartimaeus, and then Luke just says there was one blind guy. And one of the things that we will do as Christians when non-Christians come up to us and go, what's up with this stuff? Is we'll go, oh, those, those must have been two accounts that were similar but not quite the same. No, this is the same account, all right? And, and, and Matthew's saying there were two of them, and then Mark and Luke are saying that there's one. Not only that, uh, Matthew and Mark say that they, as they were leaving Jericho, 
this encounter happened. Luke actually says as they were coming in to Jericho that it happened. So um, this, this is why a lot of people, uh, an excuse that a lot of people use of why they don't trust the Bible are things like, like this, why they do not see it as uh, the Word of God, but actually nothing more than a hoax or a piece of fiction that God really has nothing to do with, but it was ultimately just written uh, by a bunch of men. It's in the discrepancies and the inconsistencies that we see in these details. But are they? Are they really, is the question. And I just think that we need to start here real quick, just uh, for, for, a, for, a, for a bonus right from the start, okay? Um, a lot of you are familiar. The Titanic sunk in 1912. It's the year that my grandmother on my dad's side was born, so I remember it well. That, like, blows my mind that she was born the year the Titanic sunk. After that event happened, the witness, some witnesses said that it split in half before it went down, and other eyewitnesses said that it did not split. It just went down. Neither group of people with discrepancies were trying to lie because for, if you were on the side of the Titanic looking at it, you saw it break in half and go down. If you were in front of it, you just saw it get pulled down, backwards. What do they all agree on? The Titanic sunk that day, right? Like the, the, the big deal happened. There is no discrepancy with, with the major event, just with the vantage point. Like what each was able to see and what they were focusing on John Kennedy, right? November 22nd, some of you are old enough to remember this. Uh, I am not quite, but I, I do nerd out on this. This, like, intrigues me. Was assassinated, right? November 22nd, 1963, some people said they heard three shots. Some people said they heard four shots. Some people said they heard more than four shots. Some people said the shot came from the sixth floor of the school book depository building. Some people said it came from the grassy knoll. Were they trying to lie? None of them were. What do they all agree on that day? That's right. The resurrection is the one that's most attacked in the Bible. This is the one that people come out the most if Christ actually vacated the tomb and rose and lived after he really died, right? And, um, and so, so uh, we, have, we have the two Marys making it to the tomb first to find it empty. Oh, but over here we have Peter getting to the tomb first to find it. And there's all these things. And like, see, you can't trust this stuff. What do they all agree on? That tomb was empty, that tomb was empty. Amen. Jesus was alive, speaking, loving, eating with real people as a real person after they saw him die. You, and here today, this is actually what we have, even though there's small discrepancies in these synoptic accounts, is that they all agree, regardless of the details, that Jesus restored sight to a blind man, to two. And that's pretty miraculous. That's a big deal. And, and uh, none of them have a problem with that. So this is, that uh, again, and, and here's the weird thing is, we, we look at the small discrepancies and go, well, that's kind of weird. It does create a little bit of doubt. But actually, skeptics actually go the other way as well to say that the Bible is illegitimate. In, in that, if all the stories are too perfect and they're all the same, they go, that's a collaboration. It's a conspiracy. These, do, these men got together, they agreed on their stories, they got their stories straight. So, so actually, the fact that we have these little discrepancies actually validates that there was not a conspiracy 
that there wasn't a bunch of dudes trying to, trying to, trying to make this thing happen. Okay, so it actually can go uh, both directions. That has nothing to do with what we're doing today. I just thought that we should set, we should just, uh, we should just set it up right there. So, having said all that, over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus doing, performing very practical, physical, immediate acts which were miraculous in nature, but which always shared or pointed to a profound spiritual implication, and. This account that we have here today, this narrative that we have here today, is no different. It's no different, and we'll um, kind of spend our time just pulling a few things out of here for our own observation and hopefully our, our, our blessing as far as what this actually is when we see a story like this go on. I'm going to give you five, okay? Number one, these guys on the side of the road were unable to see Jesus, but they were able to hear him. They were able to hear him, and this is important because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God or the proclamation of truth, right? So proclamation matters. I mean, for you and I in here today, like seriously, like talking to others about Jesus matters. It may feel like it doesn't sometimes, but it does, because faith comes by hearing, and, and hearing by the word of God. Like, these guys couldn't travel around everywhere where Jesus went seeing his works, like everyone else was seeing. Other people were eyewitnesses to these miracles. These guys couldn't do that. Like, they didn't have that opportunity. So how did they know how great Jesus was? How did they know that he was great? Right? How did they know that he was worthy of healing their physical deficiency? How did they know that he was coming when he passed by? By hearing. They knew it by hearing. And where would they have heard something like this from? Where would they have heard about the one, the Messiah? Um, Most likely from their scriptures growing up. Most likely in the synagogues, right? They had Old Testament scriptures. They would have heard scriptures like Isaiah 61, which Jesus would then quote in the book of Luke, and own for himself, which says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus talking from Isaiah 61. Because he, the Father, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind. They would have heard scriptures like that and known them and held on to them, anticipating, like, is this it? Is this this guy, right? The end of that verse, of course, is to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is once we hear and receive what we hear as truth, which is belief, we can now comprehend and anticipate things we would otherwise be blind to. And this is what we see with these guys. These men could not physically see the works of Jesus, but they could hear about the works of Jesus. And what does Jesus go on to say about people like you and I, who weren't even there? We're 2,000 years removed from him walking this earth. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's this room right here. That's what's going on in everybody in here that places everything that they have on Christ alone. We have not seen and yet we believe. Blessed are you because of that. How 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 does that come about? By doing what we're doing right now. We're hearing the truth of God, right? Um, 
We must remember that seeing, on the other hand, is not always believing. I don't know how many times I have conversations with atheists or non-believers or whatever, skeptics, right? They're like, well, why doesn't he just show himself? Like, where is he? Why, why doesn't he just come down and, like, do this thing or shake my hand or, you know what I mean? Like, they want to see, right? And yet we know, even in stories just like this, narratives just like this, that seeing, we see it throughout the Bible, is not always believing. It's not always believing. It's disheartening to me how many Christians, how many claimers resemble the people in this crowd that day. The people in this crowd who are physically following Jesus, right? They're like part of the, uh, the heavenly procession, right? The Jesus parade that's walking down the road, but they're looking over at this dude's on the side of the road and telling him to shut up. Like, you guys need to shut up, <laughs> right? Like, like, it's crazy. They're scolding them to be quiet. They're telling these guys to stay away when they clearly had a need for Jesus and a desire to be with Jesus. And so let me, say, let me say this. As we follow Jesus in the midst of the heavenly procession as the church on the way to the promised land, we must never, you and I, forget to have our eyes on the side of the road. On the side of the road. For stragglers. For the tired for the weary, for the weighed down, for the sinner, for the blind, for those earnestly yearning to be a part of that heavenly procession. Also, this is why the church remains on earth. You and I are not here to pat each other on the back and go, oh my gosh, you're doing so good. You're so holy. You're so awesome. That's not why the church exists. We exist because we've been called out by the word of God, by the truth of God to Christ and remain to further call out That's how it works. We have been called out to call out. You hear this here a lot. This is why the church exists on earth. It's not to be self-righteous, bigoted idiots and jerks. It is to show the love of Christ that has won us over to others who will also be won over by the love of Christ. This is why we exist and we get this wrong sometimes and we need to stop getting it wrong. All right? Um... The church remains on earth to proclaim the good news of a risen Christ that he may be heard to a people who are blind. Blind, right? These guys were unable to see him, but were able to hear about him. That's number one. Number two, it is faith. It is faith. It is faith. Belief in Jesus that gives us Jesus. It is belief in Jesus that gives us Jesus, not something else. And we can come up with all kinds of things. I do it daily almost. I do it daily. It is faith, belief in Jesus that gives us Jesus. Not indifference, like, I really don't care. It could go either way. Uh, Not doubt, obviously. Not self-sufficiency, like I can do this thing, and God's going to meet me in the middle, right? Not offerings. I'm going to do this for God, and then he'll like me, right? Those things don't give us Jesus, not self-help, not entertainment, not cleaning our lives up so that it finally looks good, right? Not excitement, faith. Faith gives us Jesus. Faith brings us to Jesus. There was uh, quite the crowd, like I already mentioned, that followed Jesus that day, but many followed him not due to their desperate need for him, but to be entertained. There's no doubt that a good portion of the people that were following him around the countryside were doing it to see the next trick that he would do. They wanted to be amazed again. 
They wanted to be excited again, right? What's he going to do next, right? That's why they're following him. They wanted to be thrilled. It was for the excitement of it all, right? Um, But these two blind guys, these two blind guys, Lord, have mercy on us, they say. That's what they say. Lord, have mercy on us, which is have compassion on us, like, like undeserved. That's what mercy is. Like, I know I don't deserve this, but, but please, God, see me. Please, please do this thing that I am powerless over. Have compassion on me. Son of David, they said. Son of David, which, which is a belief, an identity statement of who Christ is, right? Like, like this is a very restrictive messianic term. Right? In, in which the kingly covenant promises of David would find ultimate fulfillment. That's what they're saying by saying, Son of David, like, you are that guy. You are the one we've been waiting. You are the, you are the coming king that is here. That's what they're saying to him. They're not wanting to be amazed, they're not following him to be amazed. There's no uh, ulterior motive in why they want to get close to Jesus other than the fact that they believe he is the one. And that he can do something for them that they cannot do for themselves, right? Sound familiar, right? So, so, so these guys aren't saying a little when they say "son of David." They're 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 saying a lot. This is an an identi- uh, identity thing, right? And in that, they believe Jesus was able and capable of healing them because they believe that Jesus was from God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Lord of all, King of Kings. Okay. And with what did they cry out? To him for his healing. What, how did, what did they cry out with? Faith. By faith, right? They cried out by faith. They cried out in faith. In both Mark and Luke's account, there's something Jesus speaks back to them after he heals them and opens their eyes. Do you know what that is? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. That's how Jesus punctuates the healing with these guys. It's by saying your faith has made you well. So not your works, not your ableness, not your abilities, not your health, not your curiosity, your faith has made you well. This is how we are saved. This is how we get Jesus. I know it seems too simple. So simple that it seems wrong. Certainly there is something I must do. That, that is the trajectory that leads you hellbound. There is nothing you can do. If you would have, it would have been done. This is why Jesus had to come. We have empty hands. All, all we can beg for is mercy. Have compassion on me because I can't make this thing happen. I've been trying all my life. I've been trying all my life to do the things you've told me to do so I can live the way that you've told me to live so I can get rid of sin and I can live in nothing but righteousness and I can't do it. I can't do it. Have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Right? These guys had expectation already. I want you to just know this. Before Jesus walked by, they had expectation they had confidence that Jesus could fully do such a thing based upon the fact that they already believed he could. They already had faith. Faith is how they cried out that day. And it's in this that we see real faith is often found in places that we don't expect. I don't know about you. I'm really good at judging people and sizing people up and like, 
you know what I mean, trying to get the 411 on, on what I think is up with somebody or where they're really at. Um, and, and it's just like, like my judgment just sucks sometimes. Like it's bad. But seriously, like it's just bad. It's bad. It's tainted. It's self-righteous. It's prideful. Um, it's narrow, uh, often unwise, right? Like, like, like real faith is, is often found in places that we don't expect with people that we don't expect, right? With people least likely to have it in our minds. We tend to think that people born, for instance, with physical um, deficits and physical limitations are in a sense prejudged or forsaken by God. We see it as a negative, right? God must be displeased with them since they were born this way. We can all act like we don't do that, but I think that's how we lead when we see something like this right? Uh, God must be mad at them, right? God did this to them. And it's true that in a sense, God did, but maybe not for the reasons you and I think, right? Like, do you remember like the dude who was born blind, right? They bring him before the religious leaders. And what do they say? Who sinned? This blind dude or his parents? In other words, somebody somewhere along the line did something wrong for God to give them this, to deal them this hand, Right of a physical deficit and limitation, and what's the answer? No, like you don't understand. Like God did do it, but He did it so that God could be made glorified. He did it for this moment right here, for you. He did it for you. This man was born blind for you to hear what I'm about to say right now, for you to see what you're seeing right now. That God is real and that God is big and that everything is about Him. Right. The truth is often real faith is found in places we, we least expect, with people we least expect. You remember the church to the Laodiceans? This was considered a church. So it would be people just like us. It was a heavenly profession, or procession, right? A heavenly parade of people in the region of Laodicea. You will find the information to it, the letter to it, in Revelation chapter 3. They are the last church of the seven churches. And what does Jesus say to these people? Let me just read a small portion of it. You say that I am rich. This is what they think about themselves. You say I have prospered. You say that I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, and what? Blind. Blind. This is the church that Jesus is talking to and saying this to Because oftentimes our assessment of ourselves and others is radically different than Jesus' assessment of us and others. This is the point. We need to to remember that. Jesus has a different assessment of people oftentimes than you and I do. This is why so many people who follow Jesus are certain that certain people do not belong in the church. That do not belong in this water. That do not belong at a table next to you eating food. Right? And the truth is that they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Because our assessment of what Jesus wants and who Jesus wants um, and is for um, is so self-righteously screw, uh, skewed. I almost said screwed. <laughs> and, and, and then I did say it. <laughs> Cut off the camera. Because our assessment is so perverted. It's, it's so off, right? Got to throw that next to it now, right? <clears throat> All right, good. On a roll. And so this Jesus procession 
tells these guys to shut up, right? Um, like, just, just sit there and, and, and be quiet. You've been forsaken by God. Like, don't bother us, right? <laughs> We're going down the road doing our thing. Keep quiet. You're ruining our special moment, right? And this is so much what the church often looks like and sounds like. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's such a shame. It's such a shame. But the blind men persist. The blind men persist. You know why? Because their faith is real. Because their faith is real. A real faith is persistent. A real faith is insistent. It will insist on seeing Jesus. Right? And these guys did that. Right? It will insist on being heard. It will insist on being found. It will insist on prevailing before Christ. It does not knock once and go, well, nobody's answering. I guess I'll move on to the next thing. Like, oh, tried that. You know what I mean? No, no. If it's a real faith, you will not stop knocking. You will knock. And you will knock. And you will knock until that door opens. Until that door opens. If it's real, it persists. These guys won't stop. They insist on being heard by Jesus. They insist on, even though they're blind, seeing seeing Jesus, right? Um, and, and so it is faith, point number two, that gives us Jesus. It is faith that gives us Jesus, all right? Which brings us to number three. When we cry out to Jesus, he hears. Oh, gosh, man. How, how, how good of news is this? When we knock, he, does, he answers. He hears. He answers, right? Some of us are like, there's no way he answers me. Like, I'm too far gone. My rap sheet's too long. I've done way too much stuff that can't be reversed. It can't be forgotten. can't be forgiven. When we cry out to Jesus, he hears. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here today. I don't belong here either. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes, like, has there been like some kind of mix-up or mistake and... You know, is this legal that I would be allowed to not just be in a, in, in a church with other believers, but to, to be up here, like, proclaiming the good news of Christ? Do you know who I was? Do you know who I was? When we cry out, Jesus hears. E- even when, or, or maybe even especially when the one who cries out um, is one who everybody else pities and is ashamed of. I, let me, I can't, I can't overstate this, how much Jesus loves the underdog. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm looking around and there's probably a couple. <laughs> Jesus loves the underdog. He loves the marginalized. He loves the ostracized. He loves those who've been beat up. Even, even some who have beat up others. Right? He loves the unsavory. He loves the throwaways. The throwaways. Um, I was a throwaway by the time I was 16. I had already been out there uh, and done that and got the shirt. You know what I mean? Uh, my parents didn't know what to do with me. The church didn't know what to do with me. Like I was done, like over. Doing every kind of drug I could. I already dropped out of high school. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm doing time in a cell, for, I can't remember, I think one of the burglaries I did was a cop's house and it didn't go well and that's a whole, like that's a whole, that's a whole other story but like, so I got, I got locked up for that at 16, right, in San Bernardino, I'm doing some time and they give me a deck of cards and a Bible and I'm in isolation 23 hours a day and, and, and I, I, I just, it, I couldn't go score a bag of dope 
I couldn't, like, medicate and fix my brain or my thoughts. You know what I mean? Like, God did that like he ambushed me. He planned the whole stinking thing, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there with a Bible and a sober mind and nothing else. I had already burned every other bridge and ruined everything else. And I cried out to God, and he heard me. He heard me. There wasn't one person in that cell. There were two people in that cell. And we were doing business because he hears us. Everybody else said, you're done. You're dead to me. You've gone too far. And God said, no, you haven't gone too far. I'll come and get you. I'll come and get you. This is what we're talking about, right? I was a social throwaway at that time to everybody else, but not to him. Not to him, right? When we, the sinner, the needy, cry out to Jesus, he hears people. That's true today. He hears. Even when the rest of the world does not. Even when the rest of the world tells us to shut up, like they did to these guys that day. He hears us. These guys cried out to Jesus from the side of the road, and Jesus heard. Number four, we're getting there. We're doing, we're doing all right. All right? Water. Jesus gives sight. Okay? Jesus gives sight. Sing it today. I had it written down. She sang it. Didn't plan it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind. Was blind. Now I see. Now I see. How? Grace. Talked a little bit about mercy. Like, let's go with grace. Right? It's, it's getting this amazing gift that we don't deserve. Right? Um, the grace of God is how I can now see. I was a blind man too. I was a blind man. I once hated God. I once wanted nothing to do with God. I couldn't see the goodness of God, and I couldn't see my need for him because I was blind. This is what we're talking about. We're seeing Jesus do physical things that actually have spiritual implications, right? That's what that means in that song, that, that line, right? And it's all due to the gift of God, the grace of God, free, undeserved, goodwill, goodwill toward me. That's the part that doesn't make any sense because I know who I am and what I've done. I don't even have goodwill toward myself. You know what I mean? I look at myself and I'm like, if I was someone else, I wouldn't hang out with you. I wouldn't get into a relationship with you. You know what I mean? But he doesn't. Good, grace is good, a goodwill gift that is absolutely, positively free and done right? This is what we enjoy. So grace is not a statement of personal decision that we make to follow Jesus. It is a declaration of God's provision for us in spite of what we deserve, in spite of what we deserve, because he's good. He's good. We're, we're not. And so we often like interpret like his character by what we see in ourselves or other human beings. A lot of times that's how we come up with, um, with, with the flesh, that we put on God and go, well, he's got to think this way because we all think this way. He's got to do something like this or respond to something like this because we all respond to something like this this way. No, God is altogether different than you and I. He is good. He is good. So hard for us to comprehend that, right? Not only that, like he loves us, but that he likes us too. That's just bizarre. Like he enjoys us. Why? Because he's good. Because he's good. 
because he takes pleasure in seeing those who no one else sees. Do you see that here in the story? Jesus takes pleasure in seeing those who nobody else sees in a way that nobody else sees them. And I praise God for that. Right? God heals. God restores. God saves. Right? He cures our blindness. Think about this for a second. The first thing that these two dudes' eyes ever saw the first thing these guys ever saw was Jesus that's crazy right the first thing they ever saw was God in the flesh before them could you imagine one of the great hymn writers of the church went by the nickname Fanny Crosby I don't recommend you name your daughter Fanny I just think that's weird I guess it was a nickname don't even, don't even use it as a nickname it's just weird right this lady wrote 8,000 hymns, 8,000 songs for the church. She was always singing a new song to the Lord. She became blind as a young girl. The minister said to her one day, Miss Crosby, with all the gifts that God has given you, it's a pity that you were born blind. Which she wasn't. She became blind at a young age. To which she smiled and she said, if I had but one request to ask God, it would be that I would have been born blind. Not that I became blind as a girl, but that I would have actually been born blind. And the minister was amazed by this response, asking why. And she explained, I wish I had been born blind, because then the first face that, I would, ever have, that would ever have gladdened my sight would have been the face of my Savior upon entering glory. What a moment that must have been for these two dudes that day. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Crazy to think about. Their first sight being of the great sight giver. Number five, finally. Once we can see, we can now follow. Once we can see, we can now follow. In fact, once we truly see Jesus for who he really is, we can't help but follow him. I've had my issues with God over the years. Some even recently where I I disagree. Let's just put it that way. There's things... (laughs) I don't get down with There's things I disagree with. And I've tried wandering off into other things to get my little fixes when I disagree. And I am in absolute misery until I get back to my dad. Why? Because um, I can see him. And now I can't help but to follow him, even when I try not to. I, I, I just can't. We are compelled once we see him to follow him, right? Because we know that there is nothing else. We know that there is no one else like him because our faith has confirmed to us that he is real and that he is good and that he is compassionate and that he is patient and that he is present and that he is able and willing to do that which you and I cannot for ourselves. We know it's true. We know it's true, right? Jesus grants sight, and that sight grants access, desire, need to be where he is. To be where he is, right? To be doing what he does, regardless of where it may take us. This is the scary part. Regardless of where it may take us. Once we can see him, we now have a need to be with him, learn from him, live with him, even for him, 
All that comes with being granted sight for and from him, knowing nothing else compares. So what is one of the first things that Jesus tells us to do in following him? Oh, this is the part where we're going to segue, man. Look at that transition. That's nasty. What's one of the first things Jesus tells us to do in following him? We find in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says this to us, the uh, heavenly procession, the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples, followers. That's all that means. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It begins with this thing that we're about to witness called baptism, which is simultaneously a funeral and a wedding. You know what I'm saying? When we go down, we are dying to Satan, sin, and death. Self. When you come up, you are made new, righteous, because of the work of Christ for you. This is what that's about. If you believe that's true for you, then baptism is for you. It doesn't happen the other way around. Some people get this wrong. Don't get the cart before the horse. You don't come to this tank so that you can find God or get God. It's not a formula like that. You come to this tank because you already know that he is real and true and your only hope. You come as a result of a faith existing right now already. You don't come to it thinking that then it's all, it's just going to appear. Because it's not. It's not. I promise Physically going into this water is not going to clean you. You will, you will get dirty again. You will get dirty again. Likewise, the physical coming up out of the water isn't going to cause you to never commit sin again in your life from here on out. Because you will. But you can know spiritually that God has already reconciled everything and settled all of your accounts in heaven before his throne on your behalf. That's what you can know. By faith, right? Um, We need to stop. This is where it begins, right? Following Christ. It begins by you standing up and testifying in front of everybody here like, I know who my Lord is. I know who my King is. It is Jesus. He is my only hope. And that's what this is all about. We're going to get this see that and celebrate with each other today. Also, if there's someone who's never done this, and may, I don't know, maybe it, by some weird off chance, you just heard something that like woke you up, said like, oh, oh my goodness, like this is real. Like you're welcome too. Um, we'll, we'll find some other clothes if you want, need to jump in. You know what I mean? Don't let that hold you back. Um, but we're going to go ahead and pray. We're going to sing one more song. Those who are going to be getting in the water and know it, uh, you guys can go get changed. Um, and, and again, I don't think it's too cold. I think we're, I think we're going to be all right. So we're going to be all right. Uh, it's worth it. <laughs> Let, let's add that on to the end of the sermon. It's worth it, even if the water's cold. All right, good. Even if the water's dirty. All right, let's pray. Lord God, thank you uh, for this text. We thank you that um, while the blind men on the side of the road were annoying um, to those around you, uh, they weren't annoying to you. Um, we acknowledge today, we confess today that that's why we're here. It's not because we did something in our willingness and our awesomeness, but it's because you saw us when nobody else would, that you went to those hard-to-reach, hard-to-clean places that we couldn't get to, and you made us clean. 
by going to the cross and by vacating the grave and by now ascending to the right hand of God where you have all power and authority over all things. God, we thank you. We praise you. We, 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 um, we proclaim that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the only hope for the nations by your blood and by your body, by your sinless life, which gives us actually right, which allows us to be fully righteous before your Father. So we receive all of this, thankfully, with, with gratitude and amazement. And we thank you for what we're about to see in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, maybe, 